weekend the theme has been in general the ancient Chan masters and what their exhortations are and now we're uh, going to add to that um, we are and during the retreat we added uh, the methods that they use and how their their instructions um, we've talked about a lot of different masters and one master that I haven't talked about too much yet is Master Han Shan from um, he was from 1546 to 1623 and um, this master um, is a very good uh, master in terms of uh, discussing um, the practice of Chan, and he wrote a treatise which is the essentials of practice and enlightenment for beginners. And again, when he says for beginners, he's ref referring to people who have been sitting for a while and that have been able to stabilize themselves. So I, I always have to laugh when I hear for beginners because I too call myself a beginner, and and it's this type of a beginner that he's referring to, but when we begin to to understand what he says it's very helpful and there's great wisdom again if you understand the first verse or the first line of what he's saying you don't have to go any further if you remember yesterday Ling Chi says those who understand the first verse they can teach the Buddhas the second verse they can teach the Bodhisattvas and the third verse, oh, they, they said, you just better give up. But we continue to practice. He's just using a little bit of a, of a slap to kind of shake up beginners to say, you know, you need to really elevate your practice, and which is the case. So the first uh, line is this. Concerning the causes and conditions of this great matter is intrinsically within everyone as such, it is already complete within you, lacking nothing. So, he's saying in this first verse that this great matter, which is the Buddha nature, that it, you already have it, just like I've been telling you from, from uh, Friday. You already have this Buddha nature. It is what you use. You do not have to seek it. it is, it's there. You just simply have to allow it to reveal itself. It's intrinsically within everyone, already complete. It lacks nothing. It's all ready to go. When you came in, it was already there. It was original equipment. And and it's the most original of, of anything that's there. Once somebody asked a master, how old are you? And the master said, I'm as old as the Buddha. And then the person said, well then how old is the Buddha? Oh, he's as old as I am. Doesn't that fit with what I've been teaching? It just reflects the Buddha nature. There's, there's no age to it. Everything is perfect. Everything is there. So the next line. The difficulty is that since time without beginning, seeds of passion, anybody have any seeds of passion? Deluded thinking, anybody have a deluded thinking? 
couple of you, huh? Emotional conceptualizations and deep-rooted habitual tendencies have obscured this marvelous luminosity. Here we go again with this word about light. Luminosity. You cannot genuinely realize it because you've been walling, wallowing in the remnant of deluded thoughts of body and mind and world, discriminating and musing about this and that. For these reasons, you've been roaming in the cycle of birth and death endlessly, just like Ling Chi. He's a little bit kinder. He's not saying you're coming out of a belly of a goat or a donkey. Yet, all Buddhas and ancestral masters have appeared in the world using countless words and expedient means to expound upon Chan and to clarify the doctrine. Following and meeting these different dispositions of sentient beings, all of these are expedient means like tools to crush the mind of clinging and realize that originally there's no real substantiality to phenomena or the sense of self. So he's saying originally there's no self, there's no, there's no phenomena. And it's very interesting because he says this and see if someone can, can see what he's saying here. You cannot genuinely realize it because you have been wallowing in the remnant deluded thoughts of body, mind, and world. What do you think by the, what he means by the word remnant? I'm sorry? Habitual. Say it again. Habitual. Habitual. Yeah. Old. Old. Oh, oh, how old? Oh, old. Goes way back, right? So these are remnants. It's like an echo. So if, if I was in a canyon and I went, Gilbert, it would go, Gilbert, 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 Gilbert. And these go so far back. The original Gilbert was a long time ago. I'm still hearing Gilbert, 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 Gilbert. So there's these restaurants, you want to say something? Does it just go back or does it also go in the future? Huh? Does it also go in the future or just back? Well, it does. It does. See, that's the thing is, is that it, these are the things that are happening. These remnants are these habitual tendencies. And these habitual tendencies, we bring them forth and we're, we're bringing with them. Into this lifetime, we have innate habit energy that comes with us. Part of it is built into this body, and part of it is from from previous lifetimes of of let's say uh, of habitual tendencies that come into this lifetime, and then that which mixes with the acquired habit energy from this particular lifetime. And so, Han Xian is saying that these things we attach to and they cloud our ability to see our true nature. Our true nature is not holds these but is not built of that. It, it's, it's luminous and it can see th through these things but because we've attached to them for so long we've lost the ability to, to, to really shine to be able to see these things. So then the next part is one of my favorite passages that helps quite a bit in terms of how we we practice and it says what is commonly known as the practice means to sim means simply to accord with whatever state of mind you're in so as to purify and relinquish deluded thoughts and traces of your habit tendencies so 
if we accord with whatever state of mind we're in, then we accord via wisdom. And so we make decisions via wisdom. So all of these remnants of habitual tendencies that say, do this, do that, get this, get that, I don't want this, all, whatever it is, all those crying babies, you use the wisdom to put a pacifier into that mouth of the illusory cell. And so by doing that, one disengages from this, these habitual tendencies by in the present moment according with whatever is appearing. When we accord with whatever is appearing in this present moment, we are using wisdom. So when we sit to meditate, we're according with what the state of mind we find ourselves in. And what is the state of mind we find ourselves in when we're meditating? We're meditating. So it's not so hard. We just accord with meditation. It isn't we're going to sit and let all of our problems arise or let all our fantasies arise or our vexations or discriminations, um, desires arise. That's not according with whatever state of mind we're in. Whatever state of mind we're in is simply to meditate, follow the method. If we can do that, the habitual tendencies will fall off. Very, very simple. If we can do it here, then when we get up off the cushion and we're no longer on the practice field, we're in the game. Now we're in the game, now we have a better chance to accord with whatever state of mind there is in that moment. So if somebody starts yelling at you, what is wrong with you? What is wrong with you? How come you're doing this? How come you're doing that? And then you go, what do you mean what's wrong with me? You're the dummy. You're this and that. Are you according with whatever state of mind you're in? Or are you just feeding into the vexations and the habitual tendencies? But if you see that and you just go, this person is upset with me. So I best not say things to make them more upset. It's better to walk away or to, to, to say things that might calm them down. Why don't you calm down? Calm down! Oh, that was not the right one. So I better leave. But you're according with whatever state, trying to mitigate the damage, mitigate the problems that are arising in that given moment. You let them go. Let them go. Just keep letting go, letting go, letting go. And, and so then wisdom is arising that is allowing you to harmonize with that state. Even in a state where there's not too much harmony, at least you're not making it worse. Not bad. Exerting your efforts here is called the practice. If within a single moment of diluted thinking, excuse me, if within a single moment diluted thinking suddenly ceases, you will thoroughly perceive your own mind and realize the vast and open, bright and luminous, intrinsically perfect and complete um, mind. This state, being originally pure and devoid of a single thing, is called enlightenment. So you're not too far from it. Apart from this, there is no such thing as the cultivation or enlightenment. So apart from this, just simply putting down the thoughts, how you put them down, is by not allowing them to continuous. So you sever the mind that desires continuation. You cut that off. 
and and you don't bite into these habitual tendencies. If you don't, you're enlightened. If it was so easy, right? But we still do that. This is what's called the practice. The essence of your mind is like a mirror, and all traces of deluded thoughts or and clinging to the conditions are defiling dust of the mind. Your conceptions of appearances is this dust, and your emotional consciousness is this defilement. If all deluded thoughts melt away, the intrinsic essence will reveal in its own accord. It's like when the defilement is polished away, the mirror regains its clarity. It is the same with the Dharma. Now this is very interesting because he's using um, Shen Shu's method of, of to describe it, to polish the mirror. And versus Hui Ning, which says originally the mirror and and the dust no, uh, is was there. Originally there was a mirror, or no mirror, no mirror stand bright, where is there any dust to a light? So originally there was no phenomena, so there's no mirror, no, there's no nothing. So he takes away everything of conceptualization. Here, Han Shan is using another method to try to say, just uh, like Master Shen Yang was talking about blowing the dust off the plate, and using this kind of a method to try to say, that it, it is fine to use that. Um, there was a big debate, especially in the Platform Sutra, when they're holding up Shen Shu's methods to be very, very poor methods, and that wasn't the case. Shen Shu's methods um, were methods that are, are, are perfectly acceptable methods to practice, as long as we understand originally there is no, uh, no mere nothing. It just, as mind is mind and we cannot call it a thing. However, our habit, defilement, and self-clinging accumulated through the eons have become solid and deep-rooted. Fortunately, through the condition of having guidance of a good spiritual friend, our internal prajna, which is wisdom, can cause, uh, as a cause, can influence our being so the inherent prajna can be augmented. What that means is that you use your innate wisdom to, to produce more wisdom. Having realized that this inherent wisdom is within us, we will be able to arouse the Bodhi mind and steer our direction towards the aspiration of relinquishing the cycle of birth and death. We'll be able to get out of the cycle of samsara. This task of uprooting the roots of birth and death accumulated through innumerable eons all at once is a subtle matter. So now we come back to this word subtle. Why subtle? Because once we get rid of these gross sensations and impressions, we still have to go after the nascent entrenchment. And nascent means like from the beginning, entrenchment means dug in very deep. Do you know what it is that's dug in very deep? Yeah. The self. The self, yeah. The self. And that self produces ignorance. But it's very deep in. So as we begin to get rid of these deluded thoughts, there's a part of us that says, oh, I got rid of the deluded thoughts. I have no more further deluded thoughts. Who said that? And we've got to start working on him. 
if you were not someone of great strength and ability, brave enough to shoulder such a burden and cut directly through this matter without the slightest hesitation, then this task will be extremely difficult. An ancient one has said this matter is like one person confronting 10,000 enemies. These are not false words. And you guys have probably confronted at least 10,000 enemies today and yesterday, right? So you're still here, so that's good. We call those bodhisattva warriors. Now we get to the next part, which is, is a, a very important part. And, it, and this is called the entrance to the practice and enlightenment. So you need to pay attention. Remember I told you we were going to say, talk about what the, the um, what life is the secret to life but I'm going to tell you part of it the rest of it you guys have to pay for it in my book okay generally speaking the Dharma ending age there are more people who practice than who truly have a realization there's a lot of people who practice but you, when you go around and you say you know have you gotten something most of them say no no but you know I can sit for a long time there are more people who waste their efforts than who derive power. Why is this? They do not exert their effort directly and do not know the shortcut. Instead, many people fill their minds with past knowledge of words and language based on what they've heard or measure things by the means of their emotional discriminations or they suppress deluded thoughts. I'm a bodhisattva. I don't have any obstructions. What do you mean you don't believe me? No, it's a very thin veneer. But people go around thinking in this way. To me, I'll tell you, yeah, I can be as bad as any one of you. When, when I'm clinging to things, I'm that way. That's why I'm called a practitioner. So they emotional discrimination, they suppress deluded thoughts or dazzle themselves by the visionary astonishment at the sensory gates. She hear, there was a lady that had the, was seeing colors. You, she here? I think she, no, she's not here now. But she was seeing a lot of colors. And was that's being dazzled at, uh, at the sensory gates where all of a sudden you start seeing it. No more or you have obstruction, scattered mind, or anything, all of a sudden you start seeing something else. And you go, wow, this must be it. It's look like, like the end of 2001 Space Odyssey, you know, and you're, all these colors are flying by you. But it's not that way. You, you have to go past all of those types of, of, of experiences. And they say, or dazzle themselves with the visionary stocksmiths at the sensory gates. These people dwell on the words of the ancient ones in their minds and take them to be real. Furthermore, they cling to these words as their own. Little do they know that none of these are, the bit use, are a bit useful. This is what is called grasping at one, at, un, uh, at others' understanding and clouding one's own entrance to enlightenment. The idea here is, is that you, your experience in terms of realizations will be different than other people's. And there's no reason for somebody to tell you what an ex their experience was because you might try to mimic it. That doesn't help you. People can tell you things about, about experiences along the way, but 
there's no one uniform, okay, when you do this, this happens, and, and your ears pop, and then all of a sudden you see a bunch of light, and you're enlightened, and the Buddha comes and gives you a medal. It doesn't happen like that, and you shouldn't think that way. It's very mundane. It's only that you can see that everything is perfectly in its place. So, so all sorts of entries in, there's different weights, different experiences. But we don't do that. And the, the thing, the only thing I tell you is, is that if you keep going in this way, you'll, you will uh, make progress. And, and that is true. If you practice in a certain way, you will make progress. And that's what I guarantee you. Um, some masters say that. Uh, one said that, that if you practice um, continuously for a period of seven days, that you will see your, your, the self-nature of mind. And he said, if I'm wrong, may I go to the lowest hell and have my tongue cut out daily? And that's not, that's not kind of, you know, when you understand everything's created by the mind, that's a very serious statement somebody's making. They're not making that statement, you know, just with their fingers crossed behind their back. It's a serious statement. But it will happen. It will happen if you practice continuously for a period of seven days. Uh, impeccably, it will happen. There, there's no one in this room that would not be capable of that unless you had killed a Buddha. Anybody have killed a Buddha? That, then you couldn't get that. And then there's a couple other ones that, that, that are bad ones. But since I don't think any of you killed a Buddha, you could do that. So, we continue on. So the reason I was saying that is, is that whatever I'm telling you, you don't cling to my words. You use my words as a means of contemplation. In order to engage in the practice, you must first sever knowledge and understanding and single-mindedly exert your, all of your efforts on one thought. So. Um, when I was young, you know, my dad would be telling me something. And son, you know, when you do this, you have to do this, you have to do that. And, and I'm going, I know, Father, I know, I know, I know. And, and my father would say in Spanish, he'd go, con, con el I know, like with the I know again. He goes, you know nothing. And he was right. And, and but I, I would already think I know it. And so since I knew it, then then I would walk around with that idea that I know it, and then I would mess up. What he's saying here is get rid of all of that, throw all of that out, this knowledge and understanding in this way. You use the right view, this understanding of the right view, as your foundation, but it's only your foundation in which you can place a proper practice. But then you've got to do it. You have to practice it yourself. And that's why I say, put all your effort on the single thought, the one thought, whether it's the thought of sun illumination, the thought of watching the breath, the thought of the Watto, all of your efforts on that. Have a firm conviction in your own true mind that originally it's bright and clear and without the slightest lingering thing. It is bright and perfect and pervades throughout the Dharma uh, day two. Intrinsically, there is no body, mind, or world, nor are there any deluded thoughts, 
and emotional conceptions right at this moment the single thought is unborn the single thought if you have awareness that awareness was there before you were born and when you die that awareness will still be there Everything that manifests before you now are illusory and insubstantial, all of which are reflections projected from the true mind. Work in such a manner to crush away all of your deluded thoughts. You should fixate your mind to observe where thoughts arise from and where they cease. If you practice like this, no matter what kinds of deluded thoughts arise, once smashed and they will be crushed to pieces so the smash is seen clearly looking into into the mind ground your awareness comes from the mind ground you're looking into the mind ground when you look into the mind ground what do you see mind 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 and it's empty there's there's nothing there but it's the nothing of everything it's this emptiness of everything. We don't say things are empty. We even crush emptiness, the concept of emptiness. So that we cannot say, oh, this is just empty, like the space in between us is empty. So we crush even that idea of that emptiness there, that there's nothing there. Of course there's things there. Can you see them? There's a bunch of little molecules floating around and all sorts of other weird things flying by that are there. We just can't perceive them, but they're there. There's not empty space in between us. All will dissolve and vanish away. You should never follow or perpetuate deluded thoughts. So as soon as you have a thought come up like that, let it go. All will, de uh, excuse me, uh, one must sever the m mind that desires continuation. So here's where this quote came from. One must sever this mind that desires continuation. We have this interest in wanting to keep ourselves going. But it's like those Chinese acrobats that are spinning the plates. You have to keep spinning the plate or else it'll it'll fall down. So we keep spinning it and spinning it. That's why we don't want to sit on a cushion and not talk. Because we need to keep spinning that cushion, that, that plate. So so we want to cut off that. When you're starting to do that, just break the stick off. So you don't spin anymore. This is because the illusory mind uh, of delusion is originally rootless. You should never take a deluded thought as real and try to hold on to it in your heart. As soon as it arises, notice it right away. This is called illumination. Once you notice it, it will vanish. Never try to suppress thoughts but allow thoughts to be as you watch a gourd floating on the water. 
So you're just there, like when you're meditating and you're on your method and, and there's all these gourds floating on the water on this mirrored surface. They have nothing to do with you. You don't have to go and go get them. They're just there. They, there's nothing inside the gourd, right? So why do you have to go and pick it up? Put aside your body, mind, world, and simply bring forth the single thought of the method. And this next line really blew me away when I read it. it. I just completely came to a stop. But it says, like a sword piercing through the sky. You cannot use your conceptualization to it. You have to use your awareness to try to understand what that means, to, to feel it. A sword piercing through the sky. So if I had a sword, and this is the sky, what's there? I cut through the sky. That's incredible. It's a, an incredible analogy to show the illusion of even the sky, that we can even cut through the sky. And when you use these kinds of analogies like this, these analogies are very, very powerful because you cannot perceive them with your consciousness. You just have to feel the magnitude of something like that where we essentially just come to this room and rip the fabric of what appears to be reality and just rip it. And all, what are you left with then? This world which you based your whole idea of, of existence on is ripped up. So if I was able to just rip this room in half like that, you go, wow, I guess he was right about that. Because all of a sudden you see it's an illusion. It's all an illusion. It's, it's a manifestation of the mind. But me cutting and piercing through the sky is also that kind of an illusion and a, in, in a conceptual at that point. But nevertheless, it is like that, cut, like cutting through the sky cutting through what you thought was your fundamental reality and then understanding that your fundamental reality and your knowledge of things is illusory, it's impermanent, it's non-existent, it's empty. And it shatters. It shatters the sense of self. Because the self has nowhere to hide. It's going to hide. Where's it going to hide? In the corner till I rip up that part too. But then you see right then and there, everything is impermanent. Everything. But all of what is appearing in this moment is part of mine in accordance with causes and conditions. And those causes and conditions, Pratikasamapada, is the Buddha mind. It's why we cannot separate the sacred from the profane. We just see things clearly as they are that are, that are appearing here.
delusion only refers to your unawareness that your mind intrinsically has not a single thing that the body and the mind are originally empty because you're obstructed therefore there is delusion you have always taken the deluded thinking mind and constantly rises and passes away as real which is what i just told you for this reason you have taken various illusory transformations in and appearances um, of the, the realms and the six sense objects as real. If today you are willing to arouse your mind and steer away from understanding, here not a single iota of intelligent knowledge or cleverness will be useful. You only see through the body and the mind and the world that appear before you and realize they are all insubstantial. Like imaginary reflections, they are the same as images of a mirror or a moon reflected on the water. Hear all sounds and voices like the wind passing through the forest. Perceive all objects as drifting clouds in the sky. Everything is in a constant state of flux. Everything is illusory and insubstantial. Not only this external world like this, but your own deluded thoughts, emotional discriminations of the mind, all seeds of compassion, habit tendencies, as well as all vexations, are all groundless and insubstantial. If you can thus engage in contemplation, then whenever a thought arises, you should find its source. Remember I was telling you, that's what you have to do. You ask that question, find the source. Never haphazardly allow it to pass you by without seeing through it. So you're the gatekeeper there, but if a thought comes by and kind of slips by and all of a sudden it takes center stage, you messed up. So when you see that thought coming in, a new car, okay, you're checking it in at the gate and then it just takes its place on the mirror. You know it came in. All right. But if it sneaks in, all of a sudden you find yourself driving down the boulevard in a new car. And then you're in illusion. Okay. That's what he's talking about. You... you you make sure anything that's coming in is checked off, that, that the mind is aware of it. Do not be, see, be deceived by it. If this is how you work, you will be doing genuine practice. Try not to gather up some abstract intellectual view and try to fabricate it into some clever understanding about it. Still, to even speak about the practice is really the last alternative. We do this because we have to do it. We, I talk because I have to talk, because I cannot put it into your head, put a new chip into your head. It doesn't work that way. If you can derive power from your power, the external world will not influence you. However, internally your mind may give rise to much frantic distraction. Sometimes desire and lust well up. Sometimes restlessness comes in. Numerous hindrances can arise inside of you, making you feel mentally and physically exhausted. And a few of you have felt this over the weekend. You will not know what to do. These are all karmic propensities that have been stored inside your eighth consciousness for innumerable eons. 
So when we talk about this eighth consciousness, sometimes I refer to it as Elia Vishnana. Um, later on, some in an effort to to meld the the uh, Yogacara school, uh, the the school with with um, uh, the Buddha Dharma and Madhyamika school and um, Mahayana, it, it was also referred to as a Tathagatha Garbha. But what they're saying is all these things, they all come from there, that all these habitual tendencies are all stored and they come up. And if you understand that they're stored, you understand how they're stored and that they can be dissipated. Today, due to your energetic practice, you guys have energetic practice, right? They will all come out. Hooray! At a critical point, you must be able to discern and see them all. Never take them to be real. At that point, you must refresh your spirit and arouse your courage um, and diligence. Then bring forth this existential concern with your investigation of the Huato, or you, we could say investigation of your method. Fix your attention at the point where thoughts arise and continuously push forward on and on and ask, originally there's nothing inside of me, so where does this obstacle come from? What is it? You must determine to find the bottom of this matter. Pressing on just like this every delusion without leaving a single trace until even the demons and the, and the spirits burst out in tears. You can practice like this naturally. Good news will come to you. There was a story uh, in the, the Sutra of, um, of the inconceivable state of Buddhahood in where Manjushri um, was talking to the king of the Tusita heaven and he brought forth um, all of the habitants of the Tusita heaven and brought them all into one room so they could hear this and they were so blown away they, they were going whoa you know we were sitting here in heaven just you know doing our good time merits and we, and we have nothing to practice but your practice is way beyond anything we've seen. You know, we need to elevate our practice. We're going to practice with the Buddha. And so when that happened, there was a, a, uh, a demon that was in the entourage that had been there before they called these people. And when he saw that, he was so shocked at what had happened. He was crying and saying, you know what? This is way beyond it. I'm really ashamed. I've tried to obstruct you all the way through. But at this point, I don't want to do that anymore. I really see what is happening. I see the purity of the mind. And he vowed to, to practice with all of them. That's what he's talking about. Is that when you get to a point where you can really do this, you know, you even can, can shame the demons and the spirits. You have no fear of them. Not bad, huh? You can go to your house and go to the bathroom in the dark without thinking that arm's going to come out and get you. Or something's underneath the bed. So, so he's re what he's saying is really important. He says, originally there was nothing inside of me, so where does this obstacle come from? What is it? So the question is, what is it? 
I was at a retreat once and we were doing slow walking meditation and I came up to one of the practitioners and I said, what is the question? And I had the, the, the stick here. What is the question? Waving it in front of his face. And he was so shocked. And then he thought, and then he was going to say something. I said, too late. And I walked away. But at the end of the retreat, I said, what is the question was not a question. It was a statement. What is the question? We have to keep asking what, 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 what is this? Where did the thought go to? That is our investigation, our cultivation. So we keep asking what. And so if you don't have the what there, you need to put it there. Because that's going to show you where to go. So you said, you could say, what or where did that thought come from? And and it's the same thing. It's the investigation that's important. Nothing that I say can help you in that regard. You have to do that investigation. Okay. Any questions? No questions? Okay, then face the wall. Turn the air conditioner just a little bit more down. People getting too sleepy. Only cut half the light. Huh? Yeah, leave one of them on because it gets too dark and we want to go to sleep. Thank you. 